Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards and it's been another massive week in the National League. Joining us as always it is my band of merry men and we do have a special guest as well coming up. But it is Rob Wobberl. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. And we've also got Dickie Wharton. Hello. Hi, Luke. Hi, Rob. And I'm going to give the game away here. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I can't introduce him now. Dickie, hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello. Right. <laughs> Smooth as ever. He's such a spoil sport, isn't he? Honestly. <laughs> and joining us as well it is our special guest, BT Sport reporter, and she's making a debut on BT Sports National League coverage this coming Tuesday when Alge can take on Solihull Moors, weather permitting, because I know it can rain a lot in Manchester. It is Becky Ives. Hello, Becky. Hello, how are you? Look, I feel like that that was quite a round of like an introduction there. That deserves a round of applause. You bigged me up far too much. Yeah, well, I, I bigged up the others, if, as you just heard. Then I bigged up the others, but then Dicky like ruined the moment on Chris's. So at least he didn't talk over this one. <laughs> no, he didn't. But I feel like you bigged me up too much. You've done that thing of over promising, and now I'm going to under deliver. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no pressure whatsoever now on Tuesday, is there? <laughs> the thing is, right? We've seen we've seen Becky doing it. You know, at the uh, Premier League, at the champion, <laughs> at the uh, uh, Europa League, everything else. But can she do it on a wet Tuesday night at Altrincham? That is that is the question that we will find out come 10 p.m. Tuesday night. But no, look, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's. I I did have been checking the weather continuously. It does say that it won't rain, so fingers crossed that stays the same because it, that would be great. But I'm looking forward to it. I don't think it will. And Altrincham's pitch is decent. I was just winding you up because <laughs> yeah. it's just been a it's lot of it. Yeah, but it's you've got to think of other considerations, Luke. It's all about the wardrobe and getting that bit right, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> it is. It, it's a serious consideration because not. Do you know what though? Whenever I do these, I give up on trying to look good. I look like Mitchell Man on every outside broadcast that I do because it's so cold now that for me personally. I will always take being warm over what I look like. So I turn up and I look like I've got 16 layers on, can barely move my neck, but at least I'm warm. <laughs> Absolutely. We, Jeff, Jeff set the bar quite high, didn't he, with his slick haircut and his, uh, his outfit. Mind you, looking well, Jeff at the... Jeff got very uh, lucky when he did the Bromley yeah. game. He'd actually, it kind of worked in reverse for him. I don't know if he told you, but he got himself a brand new coat for the events. He got himself a nice posh coat and then it was too hot to wear the coat. So <laughs> that backfired on him, bless him. Uh, no, it's great to see actually and, uh, and, and, and and good to have you both on sort of in the weeks that you were presenting uh, for the first time. And uh, that's just sheer coincidence really because uh, we always said we'd have you on sooner rather than later this season and great you could join us again. We want you on for your prediction power prowess as well. You know, the best one of all of us towards the end of last season. So uh, we brought you on for your insight and you let us know who's going to be up there at the end of the season. All right, I'll do my best. So now I got luck. Oh, I got a bit lucky last season, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> See if like strikes twice. Absolutely. Well, Grimsby, they're, they're top at the minute, Becky. C- can they stay there? They brushed aside Yeovil in the end. Linnell, John Lewis and, and John McAtee scoring there. I know. Crazy. They are doing so well. At the minute, you just 
think they're a team that are together. They know what they're doing. Like they're unstoppable. And you do think who or what is going to stop them? Because look, we know what this league is like. Where on their day, any team can beat another team. But there is just something about that Grimsby run right now that looks unstoppable. However, it will, I don't know, it will be some banana skin of a game that trips them up if something's going to trip them up. I don't know why I feel that, but I feel like that's what's going to happen. But it will be a one-off game, a bump in the road, and they'll regain it. I just think they look really well organised, um, clearly very well run. They've done really well since dropping down as well because they've got no airs and graces. And I think that's really important when you drop down from the tier above, down below, that, you know, Poorhurst knows what it takes to get out of the National League. There's no airs and graces about them. They don't they don't give off an air of, well, we should still be in the second, you know, in League Two. They just don't give that off. And I think when you don't have that arrogance, it works a dream. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point, that Becky. And also they didn't they weren't at the best yesterday. So that just that just shows, doesn't it? I mean, when you're on a run like that, you can pick up three points. When you're not at your best, I saw um, some of the Yeovil players talking about it yesterday on their on their media channels, and they were saying, "Look, we're really disappointed. We didn't come away with anything yesterday. We we battered them, and yet they've still lost by two goals. So it just shows, doesn't it? When you when you're on a good run, things go for you, and it just keeps rolling. It does, and it's one of those things that at the end of the day. No one will remember the performance of that Yeovil game by Grimsby. They'll just be like, oh, they beat... People only remember the score. They won't remember the performance of it. So it's one of those things where Grimsby will just be like, yeah, okay, we didn't play great. Wasn't our best, but we got three points and we move on to the next. And it's that because that's how fast-paced this league is. And so you kind of get lost in the performances. But as you said, if you play bad and you still come away with a 2-0 win, which probably sounds better than what we saw on the pitch... Winning. Yeah. The big game of the day was at, at Chesterfield where they took on Bournemouth. It was second against third and it was James Rose side that prevailed in the end. And well, it had to be him, didn't it? Kabongo Shimanga, he was involved. He won the penalty that Danny Rose scored. Then he got a goal just before half time, before former Chesterfield man Will Evans got a goal back. But that was a massive win for Chesterfield. And he did an old Jurgen Klopp celebration at the end. He was punching the air in front of the fans and everything like that. And and, and Chesterfield keeping Borenwood at bay. You've had a good season, Borenwood, especially defensively. Yeah, definitely. I think this is, you know, as you said, one of the bigger ones, ones to watch this weekend. I think Chesterfield as well, but they'll be pleased with that because they've dropped points when they've been ahead in games and been controlled. And then um, what game was I at? I was at the Torquay game where they were in control of that. They were like 2-0 up, I think, and then somehow ended up drawing 2-2 in the last, literally the last kick of the game. I think it was Armani Little that put the cross in from a corner and somehow the ball ended up in the back of the net. So I think, yeah, I mean, there's no denying what Chesterfield are in second. League position speaks for themselves. They're up there. I feel that they will feel that they should have dropped a couple of points, perhaps where they shouldn't have dropped a couple of points. So I think getting that against Boreham Woods for them was not only mentally what they needed, it, they were at home as well, weren't they? Which I think mm. they needed to do at home because the Torquay game was at home as well. So it's, you know, it's good for fans just to keep everybody happy and the huge crowds that we're getting this season in the National League. That also deserves a mention because it's amazing. We're getting like, Anywhere between 5,000, you know, often Wrexham home games can be up to 9,000, which 
for a national league fixture is phenomenal the amount of support that you're getting so yeah that cohesion between fans and the team and things I think Chesterfields will have done themselves a world of good um and you know they're a good side James Rose obviously got them firing whatever he's doing is working so yeah I think Boreham Wood will be really disappointed to not get anything from that game yeah, sir, Adam, something tweeting about the crowds as well. He's saying, like, some incredible crowds this year. It's the sort of crowd you get in League One and League Two, isn't it, isn't it really? Yeah, absolutely. But I've said this before, the gap is not as big as perhaps what outside perception is between the leagues, especially not League Two and the National League anymore. I'll always say the bottom half of League Two and the top half of the National League are literally the same league. Like, it's the same quality of players. It's just slightly different monies and slightly different sponsorship. But... The quality of players that we have in the National League now, you know, and more and more teams are becoming full-time if they're not already full-time, the money that's pumped into them, honestly. And more and more, and, and more and more bigger teams are coming down, you know, smaller clubs like Sutton and Macclesfield, etc., are going up to the Football League and uh, one by one, the bigger clubs are coming down. Um, I know from an Aldershot point of view, I distinctly remember, if you go back four or five years, Aldershot were probably the probably the sixth or seventh biggest club in the division, and they're not now. They're probably the 12th or 13th or 14th, you know. Um, just one little footnote for me on that game, and we've waxed lyrical about James Rowe and Chesterfield for a long time. He promises me he's coming on the pod in the next few weeks. He couldn't make it tonight because he's busy preparing for the Eastleigh game on Tuesday. I tried to get him on for when you were on, Becky, because I know you get on well with uh, James oh, Rowe. did he but, say um, no? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell him you were coming on. Maybe I should have done. Then he might have come on. Um, but uh, no, it was the it was the the footnote to that game. The fact that Will Evans uh, had a little pop from long range, and uh, it was one of those moments um, that Scott Loach will probably want to forget. He probably should have saved it and didn't. And uh, but Will Evans, who uh, will have got a little bit of stick, I'm sure. He's been a Chesterfield player of the season. He's also had his periods where. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have the best relationship with the crowd before um, he left. Um, and uh, he saw red in the 94th minute uh, for a second yellow. Bit of a silly, clumsy challenge on halfway line. Um, and what could have been a, a decent afternoon for him individually, having scored that goal, ended up on a sour note. In fourth place at Halifax FC, Halifax, they lost 1-0 at Solihull Moors. I know, I'm surprised by this result, actually, I have to say. Fair play to Neil Adley. Um Halifax have been on such a great run. When I say that, I watched them play Pontefract Collieries in the FA Cup fourth round qualifier, their first game. And they just weren't at the races that day at all. In fact, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say this twice. I love Pete Wilds and I love the Halifax boys. So I feel a bit harsh saying this. But the twice I've watched them, they've actually not been very good. I watched them against Barnett. And I mean, the weather was shocking that day. And it just, I know it's weird to say the weather doesn't suit the way that Halifax play, but honestly, that driving rain and the way they play, was it just didn't work. So I've seen them twice, and in actual fact, they didn't play that well. However, I'm fully aware that results outside of games that I attend seem to go fairly well for them. So I know, I know Pete Wilde. Are you bad, Becky? Well, I know, I, Pete said to me when he came to the Ponty game, he came over and he said, oh, you're here. I said, I am. And he said, oh, God. He said, we never do well when you're here. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. But maybe there is something about that. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, really, really good result yesterday for Solihull. I think Halifax were at seven unbeaten going into that one yesterday. But but Solihull are on a, a good move of their own. 
Callum Maycock's a, a, a good midfielder. I remember seeing him play for Lamington in the north when he was on loan a couple of seasons ago. And uh, yeah, Neil Ardley's got, got Solihull moving in the right direction too. Do you think they'll be there in the playoffs at the end of the season? I'm not sure if I tipped them for one at the start of the season um, when we did our predictions. I, I think I might have thought they might have been a bit outside, but, um, you know, I maybe shouldn't have dis- discounted them quite so readily. They've, they've made some some good signings, brought in a couple of good loans. Uh, Lois Maynard comes in and, um, yeah, they're, they're going well. I wouldn't bet against one of those two sides being in the playoffs. I'm not sure they'll both make it, but... Uh... Just to counter Becky's point, I've only seen Halifax play once at Aldershot and they were outstanding. They're possibly the best performance that I've seen against Aldershot this season. I know Aldershot have lost a lot of games, but uh, Halifax, very, very impressive on the day. Rob, how are you feeling at the minute? <laughs> um, actually, cautiously optimistic. I know we haven't come on to the Aldershot uh, uh, game yet, but um, I think Mark Mosley... Shall we get uh, on to that support. now, Rob? Because obviously you took on Bromley, <laughs> who are in the playoff position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, look, I'll answer Becky's question, how I'm feeling. Obviously, it's a time of a lot of change at all the shop. My concern going to watch yesterday or going to call the game was it's great to see that Mark Mosley's getting the back end of the board to bring players in, admittedly on loan or short-term contracts, to try and make a short-term impact. My concern was, would there be just too many players coming in at the minute? Others have obviously got to go out on loan or whatever. Um, but actually, he only made two changes to his starting lineup and uh, two really, really good, solid, impressive debuts. Scott Wagstaff, who dropped down from, uh, it was last at Wimbledon, was very, very good. And Ryan Glover, who's uh, uh, somebody that Mark Mosley's uh, worked with before at Bournemouth under-21s and has been on loan at Weymouth. He assisted a goal three minutes into the game, Ryan Glover. Um, and Aldershot, actually, there's, <clears throat> I'm not going to dress it up any other way. They played really, really well yesterday. They were really impressive going forward. They got themselves 2-1 ahead. Uh, Lewis Kinsella finally scored his first goal. We'll come on to that in a minute. But um, they shot themselves in the foot. A corner was whipped into the near post. Mitch, Mitch Walker went to punch it clear and punched it, I think, in off the post. And then uh, Aldershot have got this propensity to, to make individual errors. Uh, a handball in the second half, a penalty for Bromley. They got themselves 3-2 up. They got themselves out of jail brilliantly yesterday, Bromley, and, and they held on after that for the game. So um, for Aldershot, it's definitely work in progress, but there's something coming that's a lot better than it, what, 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 it, what it has been. Um, and uh, for Bromley, well, you've only got to look at what they did yesterday. <clears throat> they weren't brilliant. They went behind twice and they still came away with three points. So a little bit like Grimsby, not perhaps at their best yesterday, um, as uh, Andy Woodman alluded to after the game when I caught up with him. Joined by Andy Woodman after uh, an excellent uh, 3-2 win at Aldershot Town. It was a spirited Aldershot Town and, and you had to stay in the game at times, didn't you, Andy? But ultimately you got the job done. Yeah, I think um, look, they're, they're a good team. Uh, I don't think they'll be lingering down the, the bottom half of the table for sure. Um, we knew we knew they would give us problems and pose us problems, uh, and we had to stay in the game. We we, we always feel like we're going to get goals. We've got a belief in the camp that we're going to get goals. So uh, the key was to just you know make sure we we stayed together and um, to come back from uh, you know being behind twice and going to win it shows a bit of metal. You see opinion. it often, don't you, Andy? With sides that are in good runs of form, when they when you do get a setback, you you respond quickly and you and you responded after six minutes after the first goal, seven minutes after the, the second and uh, 
Took a bit of a buffet in first 10 minutes of the second half too, but ultimately, uh, Cheeky steps up and does the easy bit at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's not down to luck that you have those moments and get those 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 moments that fall for you. Um, it's, it's, it's being relentless in what we're about. Um, you know, we, we never we never give up any ball, any lost calls. Um, we challenge for every ball fairly, in my opinion. Uh, and that's the DNA of this football club. You know, we aren't as big as the other clubs. So, um, you know, David and Goliath sort of thing with, with a lot of our matches. We are the smaller clubs, so we have to fight for everything. And uh, and that's that's what that's the DNA I want at this place. Speaking more generally, uh, since you came in, uh, your points per game return has been higher than any other manager in the National League, and, uh, even including <laughs> including James. Say that Rowe. a bit louder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Rose is getting applauded for his budget, and I've exactly. got the smallest budget. And, uh, <laughs> not too many people mention my points per per game return. It's pretty impressive. It's I mean, the, the sheer amount of points that you had to assemble just to to remain in seventh <laughs> position, where you pretty much took over the side, was was staggering for last season. But uh, and today you've won, and you've gone down a place in the table. But hey, I'm I'm sure it's just keeping that momentum going isn't it six wins on the trot now in the National League um, and uh, you know winning's a good habit isn't it yeah winning's a great habit uh, look, I thought this was a really important game for us today um, we've got a couple of games coming up that are going to be as tough if you know as any other game but I felt like we've given ourselves a real good foundation um, coming up to a quarter, a quarter part of the season gone so we've just got to keep playing forward. You know, that's what we've got to keep doing. And uh, you know, lads, are, lads are on it. It's good. Yeah, a bit of, uh, bit of saltiness from Andy Woodman as well at James Rowe there. But that's five unbeaten now for Bromley. And like I say, I tipped, I tipped them to actually be champions because everyone's looking at Stockport and Wrexham. But Bromley will go under the radar this year and they'll go under the radar for a long time, I think, won't they? Yes, and that is exactly how they like it, I have to say. Andy Woodman likes being under the radar. He likes quietly going about his business. They've got, I think they've got two games in hand as well on other teams, which they are going to love and they're going to keep in their back pocket. And it is one of those. It's interesting. One question, I've, I've asked it to uh, Matt Gray last season at Sutton, actually. I said, is it better to be the hunter or the hunted? And he couldn't answer the question. He, he actually wasn't sure. He was like, oh, uh, no one's asked me that before. But for Andy Woodman, he definitely is a better hunter. I think they just like to be under the radar. They'll keep it together. And then I think when it counts, quietly consistent is dangerous. And as you said, I think sometimes it is easier because the pressure on Wrexham this season is ultimately there. Stockport, it's there. Notts County, it's there. With someone like Bromley, it's not there. And maybe it's because they have never been a huge, massive league club. So they don't carry that burden. They just play their football. Um, They've got some incredible young talent. Marcus Saliba um, comes through the academy. And we were there at the Bromley game where he scored his first goal for the club. It was an exceptional goal. It's not often you get on your feet and like really clap a National League goal as being like, wow, that was phenomenal. But he really had such an impact on that game. The goal score, he's doing well for them. And I think they've got little gems just dotted around that team. Really good youth experience mix. Um, And yeah, they're just going to keep keep doing what they're doing. Let everybody else take all the noise, take all the headlines. But it would not surprise me. I would put Bromley and Andy Woodman up there as potential title contenders, 100%. Dickie, a minute left, so do you want to chuck your little thing in? 
I was going to say quickly, I mean, that, Becky's, I mean, you're quite right there. I mean, it worked for Sutton United last season, you know, that not having that football league history meant that, you know, it, there wasn't any pressure on Sutton United to get back to where we used to be because they, they'd never been there before. And, and, and ultimately that, that worked in their favour. And one final footnote to that Bromley Aldershot game. We couldn't let it by without uh, mention in his 112th Aldershot town game. Lewis Kinsella scored his first goal at the right end for Aldershot Town. The shot skipper's first goal in professional in his eight-year professional football career. Uh, and I caught up with him after the game. And something happened today that you've wanted to happen for a long time. But uh, before we get to that, your side somehow managed to look impressive, look encouraging and get absolutely no points out of the game again. How frustrating is that? Yeah, I, I honestly feel sick. I, I, I go through every, every game thinking about... How have we lost that? I think that's. I said about Stockport last the other week, but I think that's the, the best we've played in a long, long time. That sort of reminded me of the the Gary Waddock teams that play unbelievable football. I think we the possession stats are incredible, um, but it's just a horrible side that let us down. The I think it was a throw in, a corner, and a free kick where we've conceded. Yes, yeah, which is actually horrendous, really, if you think about it like that. So. Yeah, no, it's frustrating. Well, and on an afternoon where that frustration is rife for everybody of red and blue persuasion, let's relive one of the best moments of the afternoon. I wasn't quite sure who'd picked up the ball 30 yards out, ran forward and then unleashed it in, into the goal off both posts. But within a couple of seconds and I saw the celebration going on, I know who it was. What did that feel like for you at the moment, at that time anyway? Yeah, incredible, obviously. It's been, I'm back now to level figures. So I was on minus one with the own goal. So back down, back now to zero, but... I was I was hoping for one that just goes in the in the net or some one from five yards. I think it come off each post off the and then I was thinking it's probably going to go off the crossbar before it went in. But it finally went in and it was such a relief and I didn't know where to run. I didn't whether to run to you ran straight towards bank. the official photographer. Well done. Yeah, and my and my family. So I was going to jump in the crowd with my dad, but um, I'm on three yellows. So I think two more and I'm, I'll get suspended. So I thought about it quite clearly. I didn't know whether to slide on my knees or what. I'm, I, Hopefully the next one I'll know what to do. But yeah, no, a brilliant feeling. But mm. um, obviously the result was not good enough. But fans are brilliant again. They, the ones that stayed and applauded us, fair play to them. Um, I hope to see them all here on Tuesday. And uh, the important thing, I know, I know there's some frustration about sometimes the naivety of the side, and that's what you get a little bit with so many youngsters in it but the good side of having a side full of youngsters is they dust themselves down they go again they come out bright breezy full of confidence um tuesday's vital isn't it because it's weymouth at home and they realistically are one of probably half a dozen teams that aldershot need to make sure that uh, they get themselves above at some point this season and you can do that with a win on tuesday yeah 100 percent um i think they're just like any other team like i don't think bromley bromley are fifth or they might have gone up now but they're fifth mm. But they can live with us for 90% of the game and the, the, uh, the thing that annoys me is that we come off the pitch and every manager comes up to us and says best team we've played best team we've played and I don't know whether they say that because they're trying to be nice or whether it's actually true but we just haven't got a horrible side but yeah Tuesday's, Tuesday's a big game against Weymouth and then Barnet on Saturday so that game finished 3-2 uh, as did the game that you were at for BT Becky uh, Maidenhead against Woking oh my goodness what a game Honestly, um, I'll be honest, when you pitch the two Allens against each other, Devonshire and Dowson, you never sure quite what was going to happen. I, I, going into this one, I had no idea because 
obviously, as we know, Woking have been in good league form, but then they had a terrible result in the FA Cup. And then it was like role reversal for Maidenhead, where they've been terrible um, league form, like without a win in eight. And then they won the FA Cup, which gave them a bit of a boost. So it was sort of like, oh, I don't know quite what's going to happen going into this one. But this was a game that had everything. Goals, red cards, like last-minute winners. It was just one of those where, you know, it started out, Woking started really brightly, to be honest. And you did think, oh, here we go. This, you know, this is going to sort of set the tone for the game. But, you know, 20 minutes in, first goal goes in for Woking, and that's when you do think, oh, okay, it's going to be one of those. And then, to be honest, there hadn't really been too much on for Maidenhead at all. Um, Sam Barrett struck it. And it took a deflection. And I will still stay. He struck it brilliantly, but the deflection, the deflection was lucky. And sometimes you need some luck in football because that deflection ended up in the back of the net. So no, sometimes you need a bit of luck in football. And I felt that moment was lucky. And you just suddenly thought, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And then from that, credit to Maidenhead because they dug in and things started to turn a little bit. They started... It had been a thing where they couldn't they couldn't even play through the sort of thirds at one point in the game. And then suddenly they got this goal. And then things started to turn on their head a little bit. And it was, yeah, it was just a bizarre game. And then obviously grew in the second half. Woking got the second goal. And then the red card changed the game. And it's interesting. I spoke to both managers after the game. And naturally, both managers saw the red card very differently. Uh, you know, Alan Devonshire said there was absolutely no doubt about it. It was a straight red. Dowson was saying, well, I need to see it back because apparently he was sent off because the ref said that he was through on goal. But I think the ball was going away from him and I don't think he was. So that's what you always get with two managers when it comes to a red card, obviously. Um, But it undoubtedly changed the game. Um, Woking couldn't see it out with 10 men, whereas Maidenhead then just started just peppered Peppered the goals with shots, and I suppose when you've got half an hour to go with with ten men, it's game management is difficult. Um, and ultimately, yeah, change the game. I mean, Joe McInerney, he I think it, the deflection came off him for the first goal. Then he scored a goal, and then he got a red card. It was like quite the game for him, poor guy. Um, and then yeah, sort of in the last seconds of the game, in an actual fact. Do you know what? It doesn't help when you are reporting at these games. I actually didn't see the last goal, which is obviously not great. I had to ask for a replay of it because um, we were we were moving from our position from where we'd watched the game to then where we end up pitch side reporting and presenting from. So we were in the process of moving. So I missed it and I couldn't see it. And I was stood behind Matt and Aaron and, I was, and they're both taller than me. So I was stood behind them and I just heard the roar. And there is a moment where you go, oh, no, there's been a goal and I didn't see it. Um, and so, yeah, I was straight on talking to the guys back at the the Harbour BT saying, my producer, a guy called Jason, I was like, Jason, I need you to explain that goal to me in detail because I didn't see it. I need a replay on that screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, fair play to Maidenhead. They did really, really well. Um, Alan Dowson felt that Woking were in control the entire game until they went down to 10 men. I don't know if I would agree with that entirely. I wouldn't say that they were fully in control. You did well um, to understand him, Becky, to be fair. 
Oh my God, he's so great though, isn't he? I absolutely love him. He's brilliant. He's the most lovely person. Comes around, shakes hands with like the cameramen, everybody. No manager really acknowledges the cameramen, I have to say. He's literally one of the only guys that comes around and he's like, hello, you know, he's shaking everybody's hands and that goes a long way. So I like him a lot. He's a great guy. Chris? Well, I'm just pleased that late goals cause problems for you guys on the telly as well because they cause problems for us guys in the written press because we've got to rewrite our report completely. Oh, honestly, (laughs) and you know it's coming. I think that's the thing. You know it's coming. It does. A late goal changes everything. I think up until that minute, I was going to do a post-match interview with Ineffion. That's what I was going to speak to. And then, of course... Sam Barrett. In your brain, you were like, okay, great. And of course, that's then a woking perspective of the game. So that's what's in your brain. And then within 10 seconds, it's like, bam, no, change the game. You're going to speak to Sam. And then you're thinking, oh, God, okay, hang on. What does that mean for main head? It's, it is. It's last minute game, last minute goals. They're great for entertainment, nightmare for production. <laughs> I wonder how many times as well you might need to get your BT stats guys on how many managers blame the referee when their player gets sent off rather than their player <laughs> so many, it was, so many. It, I think it was a really tough one yesterday I, I was on the train home from my game and I'd actually got a decent signal when I was watching the, uh, the, 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 the Maidenhead working game as it happened that coming together and that sending off I, I didn't have the sound up because there was other people on the carriage, but just from watching it, I thought it was fascinating. Well, obviously we don't have VAR at the national league level, but I think it's one of those where even if the referee had gone to the side of the pitch and he'd had a look at the replay of that, it still would have been really, really close. Was that ascending off or not? Um, I think there's no doubt that McEnany thought I've got to get something here. It was dangerous. The run, I don't think he set out to injure the guy. I think he put his own head in where it hurts. And unfortunately, he caught the maidenhead player, Ferdinand's uh, head, ironically, who's a former Woking player. So I think it was a tough one. I don't think anybody was really united um, about whether that was a sending off or not. With with Alan Downson's sides this season, I've just looked there, the only side in the league who haven't drawn a game this season. So it's you either win or you lose. And, And yeah, he was on the wrong side of it yesterday. Full-time, going full-time is working for them, though. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, Rob, you've got your sort of finger on the pulse in terms of the BBC Surrey side. I mean, what what, what sort of the... Is that the sort of agreement there about it all? I don't know. I just, Woking, they're a streaky side, aren't they? If you look at their time back in the National League, they've either been really, really hot and flying or they couldn't buy a win, you know, to save their, their, their lives. And, and that's literally you know, kind of hammers home the point that Dickie's just made. They're not a side that tends to draw that much, are they? They're on long unbeaten runs or they can't buy a goal and buy a win. And uh, it is factually, it's a transitionary season for Wilkin this season. So the fact that even on the back of defeat yesterday, they sit 12th. Yeah, it's going nicely. And, um, you know, there will have been a certain turnover of players there for sure. One or two players that Dows knows and trusts and would love to still have, but they don't want to play um, you know, full-time football. So they've had to move on. But what I'd say is that when you think that Dallas in the South, a bit like Pete Wild up in the North until recently, they had the pick of the best part-time players, you know, in the South and the North of the country. He's actually having to fish in a much busier pond this year, Dowson. And so far he's done pretty well to have Woking sitting uh, upper mid-table at this stage. 
Douse in the South. That's a good podcast title, that. <laughs> um, Dagenham Redbridge are the other team in the playoff spot. They're in joint fifth, along with Bromley and Solihull Moors. And Darrell McMahon won Manager of the Month, and they had a good 3-0 win over Southend. And, the ma- of course, Southend have appointed a new manager this week, which we'll get on to shortly. I saw a tweet from Mick Payne about this game, and he basically said, it's a few weeks since he's watched Dagenham, but once they got the first goal, he knew they were going to win. He knew it was going to be comfortable because he looked very functional. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see Dagenham Redbridge back on track because I've still got to say that they're the best team I've seen so far this season live. Um, the way that they play, the way that they put runs together, the way they go back to front really quickly and they've got a lot of pace up front. So it's good to see them getting back to winning ways because they did. Although he won manager of the month, they had three matches in a row where they didn't get a single point. So um, good to see him back on board. I know Mick rates them really highly as well. I mean, Mick, friend of the podcast, <laughs> rates them really highly as well. So that's all I wanted to say. The, the best I've seen so far this season, and I think they'll be um, definitely be in the playoffs come the end of the season. Do you know what I like about Dagenham and Redbridge as well? Um, like they obviously had an absolute flyer, so the pressure was on them. Yes, they've faltered a little, but they've never dropped away, which I think is crucial in that beginning stage of the season. The fact that, you know, whatever you want to call it, I don't really like calling them rough patches or whatever, but they dropped a couple of points. But they're still up there in fifth. And I think, and they've managed to now, as you said, sort of, they're very functional, they've recovered. Like their heartbeat and their nucleus is still very much there and it's still very much strong. And we know what this season is like. It's undulating constantly. It's ups and downs. You can never be too high with the highs and you can never be too lows with the low. And I think that Dagenham and Redbridge are really good at that. When they were up there, Daryl McMahon really wasn't even that bothered. You know, he played it down constantly. And when it was low, so to speak, again, it's not really that big of a deal. So I just feel that real grounding of the nucleus that they have, we'll see them in good stead this season. Yeah. And I love the passion that Daryl McBrown brings to it as well. He's, he, you look at him on the touchline, he's jumping around, he's, he's getting them in order and you speak to him at the end of the game and you think, if I was in that dressing room, I would be inspired by, by this guy because it just oozes out of him, doesn't it? Yeah, that is great. Another one, though, with an accent that I, at first I was like, hmm? <laughs> not as bad as Alan Dowson, but no, he's great. I like Darren a lot. Right, so Southend have announced their new manager this week. It, they announced it at the start of the week, and they've kind of got a triumphant of people in there, haven't they? They've got Mark Bentley and Darren Curry, who are assistant head coaches, and they are assisting the head coach, who is former Southend player Kevin Marr. And they've gone down a completely different direction. Ma said in the non league paper that it's um that it's it's kind of a long process. Things won't happen overnight. But Darren Curry and Mark Bentley coming in a very shrewd sign is alongside him, aren't they? Well, they've certainly got, as you say, their own band of merry men now. Uh, possibly um, Collie Moore coming into the equation as well. Seems to have been relatively well received by. Uh, South End uh, supporters. Um, we'll come on to how they got on in the first game of charge in, in a bit. But um, the fascinating thing for me is it's three managers coming in. So regardless to the job titles or roles, you've not got one there who's you know adept at being the assistant, being the second man that 
you know, the, that person to sort of link the squad and, and bounce things off. And, you know, Darren Curry has managed successfully, uh, certainly for a spell at, uh, at Barnet. And uh, I know that uh, he, he's been interested in the South End situation for a while because as long ago as when Aldershot won their 3-2, he was there that night watching. I saw him in the, uh, in the stand. And Mark Bentley's been doing really, really good things with Canvey Island, uh, particularly this season. He just won the, uh, the manager of the month. And, uh, you know, he's uh, obviously left Canvey Island with heavy heart. But uh, uh, for a couple of those guys, they're former South End players. Uh, their heart's in the club. They'll feel that they know Roots all well. All well. And uh, time will tell uh, whether or not uh, South End have got this one right. I think that, that being two of them being former South End players is the big thing for me. I think when you see the way that the fans responded to Ron Martin a couple of weeks ago when he went to, to them, I think it was away at Solihull and he didn't get a particularly great reception. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'm, in no way does um, them being former players mean that, you know, I don't think they're capable of doing the job. Uh, that's certainly not the case. But them being former South End players buys them a little bit more time and a little bit more patience from a fan base who are pretty short on patience at the moment, I would suggest. Wrexham are in 11th place. They've still got two games in hand, although they have slipped up over the last couple of weeks. They got back to winning ways, though, against Barnet. They won by three goals to nil down there, and a much-needed win because there was a lot of pressure on Phil Parkson, despite them getting past Marine in midweek in the FA Cup replay. Apparently, last weekend, it was described as the worst performance that some Wrexham fans had ever seen, so there was a lot of pressure on Phil Parkinson, and, and they got the result in the end. Yeah, but that's going to happen this season. That's, it does not surprise me at all. Um, if you think about this logically, we know this league, how can you possibly bring a team together? They've only, these guys have only played 10 games together so far this season. And at the minute, they're competing against the sides of Dagenham and Redbridge and whatever. These teams have played together now for a couple of seasons. So... And I just think everything that is going on with Wrexham this season, you know, I, I interviewed Phil Parkinson and BT are interviewing him and, and he's talking to me whilst there's Netflix cameras that are filming him talking to me. And I, the whole thing is just, it's unbelievable what's happening there on and off the pitch. And I'm all for it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, I think it's amazing. But I think in terms of results, it's unsurprising that there are going to be hit and miss weeks. This isn't a well-oiled machine as of yet. I think they're learning and it's still very much up and down. And I think it's probably going to stay like that. I don't think Rex, I do think Wrexham will hit the ground running, but I don't think it'll be till the second half of the season. So I think if they can just stay there or thereabouts, we know to be in contention in this league, you have to be in the top 10 by Christmas. Guest appearance on Netflix then, Becky, is it? Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> you know what, that... Um, uh, just- I've been on one documentary before. I've only ever spoken at this point. It was when Jose was still in the league. I'd only ever, ever, I'd only ever asked him four questions in a press conference. And one of those questions made the Tottenham. Was it an Amazon oh, documentary? Amazon Prime one. I'm watching that at the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. I, the person that says, will we get to see Stevie Bergvine play this weekend? That was me, but I didn't even know I was on it. I didn't realise. <laughs> like, I heard my own voice and I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I might, I, you never know. I might get a second bite of the cherry somewhere along in this Netflix documentary. <laughs> uh, it'd be good. I know it'd be it'd fulfill your lifetime's ambition if you got to interview Ryan Reynolds, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> oh my god the amount of times i've been to rex and they owe me i'm telling you it's like a three and a half hour drive for me and i must have been about 12 times and they've never <laughs> been there yet so no i've flagged that rob levi at b2 sport i've told him i've said to him if i don't get the first interview sorry matt smith i know this is your game your show but i'll tell you what if i don't get that first one i'm going to be elbowing jeff and everybody out the way for that one <laughs> that, would, that I'd love to see. That could be a BT yeah. game show in itself, couldn't it? Yeah. It was. Ryan Reynolds. It was his birthday yesterday. So uh, a nice little birthday present for him. Oh, there we go. He'll be a happy man. But yeah, as I said, look, the Wrexham performances, I think, I think because you look at it and now we're expecting them to win every single week, it's also impossible for one side to win every single game. Like, it just doesn't happen. Invincible seasons or whatever, they don't happen in the Premier League anymore. All right, Rangers did really well last season up in Scotland, but they just don't happen like that in the National League. So, you know, I think Wrexham, as long as they can stay there or thereabouts come Christmas, and then I think they'll kick on second half of the season. And Paul Mullin has settled really, really well. He's starting to score every week now, uh, and that looks ominous to me. He's a, he's a touch of class. Uh, playing at this level and uh, yeah and I, I did see Wrexham play two or three weeks ago I know it's that infamous game which got abandoned but uh, they were really starting to purr that week so they're not too far off and, and most importantly as you say in terms of the league position they're there or thereabouts and uh, I think it's Gary Johnson that we quoted the other week isn't it it says you, 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 you've just got to be there in that top 10 uh, at Christmas and then then you've got to go through your gears. Talking of Gary Johnson it was a a good bounce back win for Torquay. They, they surprisingly lost to Haven at Waterlooville in the FA Cup, but they managed to get a 2 0 win against Kingsland in the end, and that keeps them well placed in the table. They are in 14th, but they'll be looking to obviously build their way back up the league and, and get towards those playoff places. And a much needed win after a, a sticky patch at some of the second win in five games. So for Stockport, Chris Simon Ruskies under pressure after another defeat in Notts County. and it, they'd started the weekend so well because they'd announced the signing of Anthony Sarsovic who, who left Bolton Wanderers and it was a massive surprise. They played for Bolton at Plymouth on Tuesday, believed to have had a bust-up with Ian Everton and, and he was gone and Stockport County swooped in and signed him on a free transfer but it didn't do them any good, did it? No, it didn't. If I, if I deal with that one first, first of all, you know, it's on paper, what a great signing. He's a great player. He's a captain of, of a League One team in, in Bolton Wanderers. He's a talisman. Um, I've seen some of the, the comments from Bolton fans who absolutely loved him. Um, so for Stockport to be getting that signing is huge. It's another statement signing. It's one of many statement signings that, that Stockport have made in, in recent months. Next bit, on the match yesterday. Obviously, I wasn't there yesterday. I was at a different game. I was actually watching Jim Gannon manage his, his new team, Hyde United, successfully yesterday. Um, but I have seen them score in the past few games, they've been scraping past teams who, man for man, have got worse squads. I've got to be honest in that. They're scraping past teams in the, the lower reaches of the table. Um, they haven't got a good record against teams higher up and they're not creating enough chances. They're, they're very passive in possession. They're not fast going forward. And this is reflected in in some of the comments and some of the reports that I've seen from, from yesterday's game. And in all honesty, the, the goal that they scored, the penalty towards the end of the game, just glossed over the fact that I believe that they were completely dominated yesterday. Now, I saw a social media tweet from a Notts County fan, and it wasn't a wind-up either. He said, the team that came up from the National League North 
was actually a better team than that team that they saw on the pitch yesterday at Meadow Lane. And they played that they played Notts County. I think it was the second game after they'd come up, and there was a real sort of team ethic uh, with that team. That's because they were a team at the moment. They don't look like a team. They look like a group of individuals, and that's partly because there's new players coming in and out all the time. They've got a, look on paper. They've got a fantastic squad. But it doesn't look like they're playing like a team at the moment. Now, they're going to have to sort it out quickly. I think that whilst I'm not an advocate of getting rid of my managers on a whim, I think Simon Rusk is going to have to sort it out quickly because the owners aren't going to continue splashing out on big names if if they're not progressing up the table. But my last point on it is there's a wider point on this. And I think you have to respect the National League. This National League is a strong National League. It's a fantastic National League. It's a National League where most teams can can beat each other. And I think what this is showing, and I think some other clubs might get this as, as we go through the season as well, is it's getting even more difficult to buy this National League by just buying players. It's, really it's, good point, there, Chris. I think, and mm. um, I, I think, I suppose my not concern. I, I'm I'm not a Stockport County fan, but but from from the outside looking in, um, I, I made a comment about you know they've made a number of big signings, and every one of those they've made said this is a real statement of intent. You know, well, how, how much intent they bring on this fairly soon? And my concern around Simon Rusk is, I suppose, uh, is having been a, a very successful development manager at Brighton with under 23s this is a very different type of football this is a hugely competitive league and you're not talking about your end goal being the development of players to get them into Brighton's first team now or or whatever this is about winning football matches and and uh, you know Simon Rusk was a professional he he knows that you know he, he, I'm not I'm not suggesting he, he's that green but that there's something not right at county with with the way that's working at the moment, uh, and you know, if it continues, you, you have to fear for him because I, I agree with you, Chris. You know, there's only so much money, as much as much money as Mark Stott has got. There's only so much he's going to continue to to commit to it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head as well, Chris. With that, I mean, in terms of the individuals, it's almost like they've chucked the team the team together, but is the team dynamic correct in a way? Well, it's it's clearly not at the moment because I think that's showing. That's showing on the pitch, and you know they can turn around and say, "Well, we've won four out of the last six, and they, they can say that. But four out of the last six against teams that, if you look at the squad, if you put those names together, it's a League Two. It's even a, possibly even it should be a, a lower League One team, really. But they're not gelling. They're not coming together. They don't look like they're playing as part of the team. There isn't that same feel at the ground. I know sometimes people think it's a it's a token gesture when players come over to the fans at the end and there's high fives for all the kids on the front row and they, they go off to to applause and things like that. And you could argue that that only happens when things are going well. But it, it doesn't seem to be... That just doesn't seem to... That connection doesn't seem to be there either at the moment. They're almost bringing in too many players. You seem to have so many players a week coming in or they're on loan and... It, it must be hard for players to settle. Or you've got players in the dressing room, you look around, it's like, here's another player. And that must be difficult as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Luke. I think that that is part of, part of the problem. And also you've got players not knowing 
if they have one bad game or if um, you know they do something wrong or something something happens at else there at training, um, which you could argue is a good thing because it puts you know it puts a, a healthy pressure on, on players. But I think when it's happening sort of every week. You know, it's it's not great. I mean, one thing that I did put on our, our little WhatsApp group was you would think that surely the quality of these players come in, there will come a tipping point where it almost doesn't matter if they're playing as part of a team because there's so much individual brilliance that they might start winning games on on moments. Um, but that's not happening at the minute. Nothing to add from a Stockport point of view, but uh, let's just give credit to Notts County. Uh, that's a terrific home win for them. They've got it right in a big game. Carl Wooten on the score sheet. He's ticking along nicely. Frank Vincent with his first goal. Um, and they were able to make substitutions late on, bringing on players of the quality of Callum Roberts and Cairo Mitchell, who bagged a, a brace in midweek in the uh, FA Cup replay win. Uh, and uh, able to rest players like Jim O'Brien and Ruben Rodriguez going off. So they're purring along nicely, Notts County. Just outside the playoffs. Zolchigam, who you're watching on Tuesday evening, Becky, they were 1-0 up at Eastleigh. But Eastleigh, again, another team who they went a distance in the FA Cup on Tuesday. They came from 3-0 down last week against Folkestone. Again, they, they went to penalties against Folkestone, managed to get through. So they would have been pretty tired in that game, but they managed to prevail and beat Zolchigam in the end. Yeah, you can never write Eastleigh off. For me, they're a side that go under the radar a little bit. Ben Strevens, I have to say, I haven't watched them play so far this season. I haven't managed to get to one of their games. But I remember the back end of last season, they suddenly popped up, pushing on the playoff positions, and they hadn't been really anywhere. And they knitted together all these sort of 1-0 wins, couple of draws here, and it was suddenly like, oh, Eastleigh. I always feel like Eastleigh are the first team of the... uh, outside of the other teams if you if you know what I mean by that you know when you're talking about title contenders and playoff places everyone always talks about the big you know Chesterfield Stockport uh Notts County but then I feel like the next nucleus of teams after that easily is top of that yeah it's because they've been there or thereabouts over the past couple of years hasn't it I mean they're not having a great season so far this year but um, they have just kind of, they've either just been in the playoffs and of course they got to the semis a couple of years ago when they lost to Salford. They've reached the playoffs again, haven't they? And then they just missed out last season. So like you say, Becky, you can see why they're always like a top eight side, aren't they? Always, always, always. So this result against Altrincham, I mean, let's face it, Altrincham are massively over-delivering this season. Like, I don't think anybody would have predicted the starts of the season that they've had so far with the budget they've got with, you know, the sort of they've got, I think Phil Parkinson was saying they've got they've got a big squad. But the reason they've got big squad is because they get injured quite a bit and they're only a few injuries away from it sort of all falling apart a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and Altrincham have they've come back. You can never write them off this season as well. They can go behind in games and they'll find ways to win. So, yeah, I mean, I think Eastley will take that as a, a good win. I'm sure Altrincham were disappointed. And the final game was Weymouth against Wealdstone. Ben Thompson gave Weymouth the lead five minutes before half-time, but Connor McAvoy got the equaliser there for Wealdstone and they are, both sides are in the bottom half of the table. So we're going to look at the Northern Division and Dickey, Fylde travelled up to Farsley as league leaders 
and uh, a bit of a surprising result in the end. Yes, it was. Um, I mean, they go, they they return home as league leaders as well, but perhaps only by virtue of the fact that Gateshead and Brackley Town was postponed because of an outbreak of COVID in the Brackley camp. It was the first defeat of the season for Foyle. Um, it was at, at the tenth attempt, so they've, they'd they'd gone nine games unbeaten from the start of the season. But James Hansen's goal for Farsley just seven minutes into the game after a mix between Chris Neal and Jamie Stott um, was enough to win it for Farsley. Danny Phyllis Kirk dismissed for two yellow cards in the second half of five, which didn't help their cause. Um, both sides had chances by the sound of, th- sound of things, but um, yeah, filed the first or Celtic, the first team to stop Fylde scoring in the league this season uh, and a third win of the season for Farsley, which lifts them up to 12th. Really big result for manager Adam Lakeland. He said we came into the game with a game plan, executed it to perfection. Obviously, we weren't help, uh, the sending off helped, but said in the last 20 minutes, he felt they had enough chances to win it comfortably. For Fylde manager Jim Bentley, it was a case of, you know, they've fallen off the horse, they need to get back on it. He said, you know, we worked extremely hard. We were positive, we kept believing, but it wasn't to be. And we just need to, you know, start another unbeaten run from here. Yeah, the other big winners of the day were Kidderminster Harry's. They've had a, a shaky few weeks in the league, haven't they? But they responded well against Bradford Park, haven't you? Yes, they have. Their, their form's been a little bit um, off in the league. When they've progressed in the FA Cup, they've got a, a home tie with Grimsby Town to look forward to in a couple of weeks' time. Um they were on easy street against Avenue yesterday. Um, it was um, a really comfortable win for, for Russ Penn's team. They're up to ninth. Bradford stay in 20th after this one. There were goals for Ethan Fremantle, uh, an early one there. Ashley Hemmings added a second. Dylan Motley-Henry, great name there. He uh, he pulled one back for Avenue before the interval, but Kidderminster ran right in the second half, Amari Sterling with a brace, the second one, a fantastic free kick from 35 yards uh, and Nathan Cameron's head around it off the scoring for, for the Harriers. Of course, you mentioned, I think there was a couple of games off in the north, wasn't there, because of a COVID outbreak? Yes, there was. Uh, Gateshead versus Brackley. I mean, that was potentially um, maybe the game of the day in the division. It was fifth against second had it taken place. Uh, Gateshead uh, have won five out of five at home in all competitions this season. We know I've spoken about Brackley's fantastic away form. So it was um, uh, the immovable object against the irresistible force. Um, but yeah, neither of them could compete with COVID, unfortunately. An outbreak in the Brackley camp. That game was off. Southport against uh, Kettering Town went the same way as well. So only nine games played in the division yesterday. But there's still lots of entertainment, wasn't there, Dickie, in the division? Yeah, there was. Um, there was a, an entertaining draw between Spennymore Town and Curzon Ash, and that was another top six clash. Uh, it's been a turbulent week for the mm. Nash. Obviously, they, they lost manager Steve Cunningham earlier in the week uh, and had interim manager Craig Marne in charge. It, it wasn't going great for them when they fell two goals behind. Scott McLean uh, with a cross, which found its way into the net on 39 minutes, and then Glenn Taylor's ninth of the season. Doubled the Spennymore lead, but you know, never say die. Craig Mon said afterwards, he tweeted and said that was a different experience to what I'm used to, but I couldn't have asked for any more of these lads today. They showed what they're all about. And they certainly did. Um, and equal, well, Jack McKay got them back into the game with just 10 minutes left after good work by Adam Thomas. And then fullback Matty Waters popped up in the 90th minute to get an equaliser. Spending more, their run of four consecutive wins ended, but they're unbeaten in five. Uh, they stay in third place and the Nash are up to six. But but obviously a lot of the talking points around this are to do with the managerial situation and, and Steve Cunningham's departure from Curzon at the beginning of uh, of last week. 
Yeah, he was actually he's sacked, wasn't it? Curzon accused him of, um, well, it was more of a disciplinary matter. I mean, by all counts, he wasn't on a contract, wasn't it? Was he? So it was. Um, it wasn't a breach of contract. There's, there's rumours that he was talking to Telford about the job, and then there's there's other sort of things that happened apparently after the the FA Cup game last week, and it's all a bit murky. I mean, he's released a statement, and it, I think he described it as. Um, the way it ended was it was unfortunate. Yes, he did. I mean, uh, I think in his defence, you know, he, he spoke about him and his assistant, Damien Crossley, said that neither of them that were on contract at Curzon, and so they they didn't feel that that should disqualify them from from speaking to another team. Essentially, that team was very strongly rumoured to be Telford. Um, Obviously, that hasn't come to fruition. Telford's managerial situation will come to, but Steve Cunningham isn't going to be the man to fill that vacancy, we're told. Um, and yeah, he's no longer in charge at, at the uh, Tameside Community Stadium, but Craig Mohn's taken over um, and a good start for him yesterday. Charlie's been going well this season. They faced a guysly side of having a bit of a disappointing season. Yeah, they did. I mean, Geisley came into this game off the back of a, a very good result in midweek, I have to say. A, a 2-1 win against Brackley Town uh, in an FA Cup replay after getting a 1-1 draw last week was, was a bit of a turn-up for the, for the books, I would suggest. Um, they weren't able to capitalise it on yesterday. Uh, a goalless draw between them and Chorley at Nethermore. It sounded as if Matt Irwin, the Chorley keeper, was a busier of the two. Geisley had... Brad Wade back in goal. He's rejoined them on loan from Rochdale. Uh, and Geisley's cause wasn't helped when they had Prince Polo dismissed for a second yellow card with 10 minutes left. But surely take their unbeaten run to seven, seven matches. They stay in fourth, Geisley in 15th. What well, normally seen as a big game in the north, both teams have not doing quite as well this year. York is certainly doing better than Chester and they prevailed in the ending. What would have been probably a big game of the day a couple of years ago, wouldn't it? I think so, and I think I think before the season started, you, this this might have been a fixture that you would have been looking at and, and, and classing as the game of the day. But um, it, it hasn't gone that way for either side so far this season. Although York are moving back into contention, they got a one nil win yesterday, courtesy of Mark Beck's forty first minute goal. That was the only goal in it. That moves them up into the playoffs playoff positions, a fifth win in six league matches. But but Chester's form would have to be continuing if you're a Chester fan. It's very up and down, just two wins in nine for them. They're in 16th position. Um, Steve Watson afterwards paid them a compliment. He said it was an important win for us. He said, stressed that Chester were a good side and that their league position isn't indicative of, of perhaps what a good footballing side they are and that they're hard to play against. Anthony Johnson likewise felt that his side were unlucky. They played some good stuff, had some good chances. Um, said he didn't want to moan about the result, but overall said that we'd not done enough. Pete James and the York goalkeeper got on the man of the match, which perhaps backs up Johnson's claim that that his side were maybe worth a little bit more, but it was a 1-0 defeat for them. Uh, and yeah, it, difficult times for Chester. We'll get onto a cracker at the Impact Arena shortly, but a massive win for Boston up at Blythe after their FA Cup disappointment in the week. Yes, they, they, their FA Cup run came to a rather inglorious end away at Stratford Town in midweek, a 3-2 defeat. They were 2-0 down, brought it back to 2-2 and then conceded a late winner. And, and it would have been a home tie with League One side Shrewsbury Town to look forward to for Boston, but that's gone. They have to look forward now. Uh, and they concentrated their efforts on getting a point, uh, or all, all the points yesterday, away at Blythe, up to eighth, 
place on the back of a 1-0 win provided by an own goal by Spartans. Michael Little, who headed Joe Leasley's cross into his own net. Craig Elliott said he was really proud of his players. They worked really hard to get the victory. Um, and it was Boston's first clean sheet in the league this season as well. So there are some positives there for them. On the other hand, for Blythe, not looking so good for them. They dropped to 17th. They're now winless in their last six and have lost three matches in succession. So they need they need some results to to just break that run as soon as they can get them. Interesting thing about Stratford Town is I found out today their nickname is the Bards, which I quite enjoyed. Yes, and I know um, I, I happen to know uh, Lewis Cox, who's the correspondent for the uh, the Shropshire Star newspaper, and obviously with Shrewsbury now playing them. You've got the little leasehold bards and taming of the shrews um, things going around. So yeah, that they're they're, they're a headline writer's dream, I would say. Yeah, and a fantastic game at the Impact Arena, three all between Alfton and Hereford. Yeah, a bit of a crazy one, this one. Um, it, it took a, a really late equaliser um, from, from the Bulls to get themselves a point out of this one. Their fourth draw of the season, but they still just have one win to their name. But this one will probably feel like a victory to them. Whereas for Alfredton, collecting just a point drops them to 10th while Hereford stay in 19th. Bailey Hobson put uh, Alfredton ahead, Miles' story levelled before the break, but then Rob Evans scored two minutes later, so Alfredton had their lead going into half-time. Story levelled again. Elliot Reeves then put the Reds ahead, but defender Luke Haynes, who's been out injured, was introduced from the substitute bench two minutes into injury time, and with his first touch of the game, two minutes later, scored to grab a point for Hereford. Yeah, and the final game of the day was... It's fair to say a lower half of the table battle and it ended in a draw between Darwin and Leamington. Well, yeah, the, the second to last game, we've got to touch on the Telford one as well. But yes, Darlington won, Leamington won. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, Darlington Leamington didn't sound like the, the most thrilling of encounters. Um, a point for, for each side in the end, a 1-1 draw. Kevin Dos Santos, the Portuguese... Winger scoring his second goal of the season for Darlington. But Dan Turner levelled <coughs> before the 30-minute mark. And that's how it stayed. Uh, Leamington's form's a little bit of a concern. Perhaps they're winless in six. Six matches now. Darlington in 13th. Leamington one place behind them in 14th. Of course, how could I forget Telford, Dickie? I mean, they travelled to Gloucester, didn't they, on, <laughs> on, on Saturday? Yeah, <laughs> I know, after all, we've been chatting about this week with the managerial situation as well. We'll get on to that shortly, but... A good point for Telford in the end. It was. It was almost three. Then it was almost nothing. And then it ended up being one. So, yeah, it was a bit another seesaw game. Interesting uh, fixture in that both sides are under interim management at the moment. Lee Mansell is in an interim role uh, at Gloucester and Dennis Green, likewise at Telford. The books led just before half-time with a goal from Jason Oswell. But Matt McClure levelled City uh, uh, brought City level after 56 minutes. Telford then had Theo Street dismissed for a straight red card on 71 minutes. He put his hands into the base of Lucas Tomlinson and saw red for that. And then it was all about the substitutes with barely a minute left on the clock. Leon Chambers Perillion must have thought he scored the winner. Uh, his shot hit both posts and rebounded into the net, beating Russell Griffiths. But then in the 95th minute, Telford substitute Kai Williams cut in off the wing, hit a tremendous effort over Jake Colin into the top corner and, and earned his side a point. And that was his first goal for the club as well. And just to update us on the managerial situation, we've heard about 
the Steve Cunningham saga. And apparently Telford were confident of announcing someone this week, but they've since dropped out, rumoured to be Paul Cox. And what, what's happening now? Yeah, Telford's management position, um, we're coming up on about three weeks now uh, of, it, of it being vacant since Gavin Cowan left his post. Um, <clears throat> it was very strongly rumoured that Paul Cox was going to uh, leave his position at Kettering Town to become the manager at Telford. But uh, he, he had a change of heart. Uh, perhaps, uh, I think Kettering, he was an on-contract manager as well. And I think Kettering have offered to put him on contract. He, he spoke very much as, as if he, it sounded as if he didn't necessarily want to leave Kettering. Um, uh, and, and was pleased that the board had, had made the same commitment to him as he was willing to make to the football club. So, so he's come out of this um, uh, with a contract now and, and is, um, you know, Kettering are going well, so so a little bit of a you know a wobble for them, but but in all sense, senses they can just carry on on the same path. For Telford, it's you know back to the drawing board now. They're they're, they're targets. They they've missed out on uh, potentially a couple of them. I think some of the other candidates who've been interviewed, maybe um, well. Uh, they, they were told that the position, you know, wasn't theirs because Telford were, were fully confident that Cox was going to take the role. And it's back to the drawing board now. Yeah, massive Cox up really, isn't it? Uh, it well, yeah, I mean, I don't like to speak unkindly of my own club, you know, and, and these things happen in football. It, it's a very unfortunate situation. Um where Telford go from here, I'm not entirely sure. It looks as if Dennis Green will remain in charge for at least the next couple of games. Um, I think the board will be getting their heads together again to, to discuss what they do next, whether they go back you know, to the list that they've had previously, whether any of those managers would still be interested having been told no. Um, we're not entirely sure. Whether anybody new might emerge, we're not entirely sure. So it looks like the Telford management story's got some distance to run yet. Brill, well... I'm going to round up the National League South with Rob next. So, Rob, there was a, there was a massive game down at Maidstone, wasn't there, where they took on Dorkin, who got knocked out midweek in the FA Cup, surprisingly, against Hazing Yedin. Yeah, it was always going to be a tight one, this. Two of the bigger sides, two of the more expectant fan bases in the uh, in the National League South. And uh, fair play to Dorkin. They got, uh, they got their league season back on track after... Uh, a disappointing exit for them from the FA Cup in midweek. Uh, a James McShane goal just before half-time. Callum Keeley doubled that lead with 76 minutes. And, uh, well, the only real stat for Maidstone of note on the day was the two yellows for George Alakobi. He was sent off with 11 minutes to go. So a pretty miserable afternoon for uh, Maidstone. But um, coming back to the league table, they sit in third place. So uh, that's a blip for them. But for Dorkin. Uh, back in the top seven, back in the playoff places now on uh, 14 points. And the, they'll be very, very pleased with uh, that three points that made them. For Dorkin, it continues their good run despite that blip in midweek, as I mentioned. Yeah, I think um, I think they'll just want to get back to sticking three points on the board and see where it takes them. They've, uh, As it stands, they're eight points behind Dartford. They've played a game more as well. Dartford incredibly have a five-point lead. They didn't play on uh, Saturday uh, and they've only played eight games this season but they've won seven and drawn one and conceded just four so a really good start for them and uh, I don't think Steve King will have minded too much having a little bit longer just to tweak things after their disappointing FA Cup exit position of the season so far Oxford City 
Um, they're second on goal difference, just ahead of Maidstone. Could have been even better for them, though. They uh, they actually ended up drawing one all uh, with Chelmsford. They led for the vast majority of that game, thanks to a Nana Awusu goal. Um, but uh, it all kind of slipped away a little bit on 81 minutes. Josh Ashby got sent off. And then 90 plus one, Adam Morgan got uh, an equaliser for Chelmsford that, uh, you know, it, it literally chopped two points of Oxford City, who would have then been just three points behind uh, the leaders, Dartford, but five points they have to settle for. Um, still a very good season, though, for Oxford City. Yeah, the evergreen, Adam Morgan, of course, he was a, a highly rated prospect at Liverpool and he's just kind of sunk his way around the leagues and now he's he's down at Chelmsford City. A uh, bit of a surprising result down at Haven as well, Rob. They had a very good result. They beat Torquay in midweek, didn't they, to reach the first round? I know... Um, Paul Doswell said it's one of the best performances from one of his sides that he's managed ever. Uh, he said he, he used a Tyson Fury knocking out Deontay Wilder analogy to get his team up for it. However, they were knocked to the canvas by Slough, weren't they, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there and I don't know the full story of the match, but what you might conclude from afar uh, was that a big, big effort for having Waterlooville over the two games against uh, Gary Johnson's men. Terrific for them to beat Torquay over uh, two games. But uh, whether it was part of the game plan or not, I don't know. But Slough, who have their own predicaments, they have their own problems right now. They started the day in a relegation position, but uh, a high-intensity start from them. A two-goal lead uh, within 18 minutes from Freddie Grant and an Aaron Cool penalty. Um, and uh, ironically, having a Waterlooville only struck in 90 plus four through Jake McCarthy. And that was after they'd had Tommy, Tommy Wright sent off a straight red in the 78th minute. So uh, back down to earth for having a Waterlooville, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, they won't be pleased with uh, 12 points from their first eight games and uh, um, four wins, four losses and 13th place. Uh, expectations a little bit higher than that for, for Paul Doswell and his team down at Haven. I'm just going to get my charger plug in the computer. While I do that, Rob, I'll ask you about Slough. Mm. I mean, um, Neil Bacon, John Underwood, they've had a tough start to the season. That's a massive result for them. That's a huge three points. And, it, you know, when you're down the bottom, you don't want to be there, but you're always looking at, well, we don't want to get cut adrift. Uh, adrift. What's the gap, you know? Uh, and uh, they weren't adrift. And, and as has proved to be the case, just the 21 teams in the National League South, but uh, they've jumped up from uh, 20th to uh, 18th with that. And uh, that's a position of safety, obviously a long, long way to go. They jumped ahead of Billericay and uh, of Braintree um, and uh, bottom of the table, Hemel Hempstead. who got themselves a point against uh, Welling, who have obviously picked up uh, since uh, Peter Taylor took over. But the two other sides I mentioned both lost at home, Braintree, losing 2-1 to Dulwich Hamlet and uh, Billericay losing 1-0 to Tunbridge Angels, who sit mid-table and they've got to be pleased with that at this stage of the season. Uh, and Dulwich Hamlet themselves, well, we talked about for the size of club that they are, for the kind of gates they get at Champion Hill, maybe they should be, you know, around the upper echelons of the National League South and that's where they are right now. Uh, 14 points from their first eight games and they sit 16th. At the moment, Ebbsfleet are uh, a couple of places ahead of them and they got a vital 1-0 win at uh, Eastbourne Borough. Been going really, really well this season. Uh, Greg Cundall with the goal in just the third minute and they had to hang on with 10 men for the final uh, 40 minutes or so after Will Wood was sent off for them. 
The other side in the top seven in the National League South are St. Albans. Uh, they beat what must be a pretty wounded Bath City side now. Sean Jeffers getting both goals, one in each half. So that keeps their uh, season on track. Uh, and that's, that completes all the sides in the top seven. Outside of that, though, probably the most eye-catching result of the day was uh, at Concord, where uh, Hungerford Town romped to a 4-1 win with a brace from Seager and a brace from Wanjow Smith. But something else of interest in that game that you spotted, Lou. Yeah, Callum Wilmoth, he, he said he tweeted out, he said, a big, big uh, three points on the road today. Ruffled a few feathers, got booked for duck dancing. And uh, when somebody asked him, he said, ask their assistant manager. And there's a video of him celebrating a goal. And he's basically doing a duck dance in front of the dugout that the referee didn't take too kindly to. So there you go, the madness <laughs> of the National League South, eh? Yeah, all the stories. Just one other game, it ended nil-nil. Very frustrating one for Hampton and Richmond Borough, who were held nil-nil by Chippenham. Uh, and when I asked him for a comment on that game, um, really all Tom could talk about, and I think all he's tweeted about as well, is is, is just some of the worst time-wasting that he's ever seen. Um, we discussed this a lot on air in commentary, and uh, you know Bromley were brilliant at it. Um, you know, in the game against Aldershot on Saturday. But uh, they earned the right to be. They took the lead 3-2 with 26 minutes left. And and that's what any decent team's going to do. Um, the only thing is for Chippenham, um, you know, been doing all right themselves this season. They were time-wasting at nil-nil. So uh, maybe that's uh, a mark of respect to, uh, to Hampton and Richmond, who were very, very frustrated. Definitely two points dropped, said Tom. Yeah, it's, it, there's ways, isn't there, of doing it. There's like teams do it and they kind of live on the edge and then there's some who like just take the absolute mick with it, basically, don't they? Yeah, I mean, at one point, apparently the uh, Chippenham keeper took two and a half minutes over one goal kick. But uh, yeah, just a frustrating afternoon for, for Tom and everybody at Hampton and Richmond. Uh, in terms of uh, their league position uh, in the table, Hampton and Richmond, they're there or thereabouts. They're one one point and two places outside the, the playoffs, a long, long way to go. And uh, I'm sure they'll play their part. Well, Becky, um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a, an absolute pleasure once again. Oh, thank you for having me. I always enjoy coming on and chatting a little National League. Best league. I love it. I really do enjoy it. So anytime, it's my pleasure. And I look forward to uh, Tuesday night. If anybody is coming along, let's enjoy it. Yeah, obviously, good luck with your TV debut. And let's hope it's not a stinking nil-nil. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to curse myself, but of the last five National League games I've been to, three of them have been nil-nil draws. So, I know, I know. That's why I was nicely encouraged that Woking Maidenhead actually had five goals in there. So, fingers crossed that on a Tuesday night in Manchester, it'll be a goal fest and it'll be wonderful. (laughs) Rob feels well, well. Rob knows about that. Rob, Rob used to take the mick out of me every game I went to. Ended up nil nil, didn't it? And you're both potentially going to be there. So that's it. There's our prediction yeah. for the week, guys. Ulti on TV on Tuesday night, nil nil. I'll be watching um, Mark Mosley still trying to get that first home win for Aldershot in uh, I don't know a million years, uh, and he'll be trying to do it against his old club Weymouth on Tuesday night. So. Uh, to be fair, the last game, there have been goals in the last few games I've been to. The last one was obviously the playoff final as well. So, um, not looking forward, well, hopefully looking forward to going to Aldrigham on Tuesday evening and a good midweek fixtures as well in the National League. We'll touch on them next weekend in the podcast. But 
Thank you very much for everyone for listening. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time. And it's the same on Instagram. Subscribe as well and you get it uploaded to your device every week. Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>